You are listening to the Salem First Hunting and Fishing Podcast. Our mission is to connect with and actively engage Western Oregon outdoorsmen. Like, I want to encourage people to have a positive life change from the outdoors. Yeah. It's not just killing something. One question we ask on this show is, what's your true motivation behind your life in the outdoors? What's going on deep down inside of you when you're engaging with hunting and fishing? I believe that God gave us the ability to do this. That's one way to connect with God. This is where the spiritual piece really comes in. We are a part, we have a profound impact on our resources. I don't know how to answer that rather than to say it's, it's just all about Jesus. Listen to this podcast, join our Facebook group at Salem First Hunting and Fishing Club, or participate in any of our club fishing trips, shooting events, or hunting trips. Welcome to the Salem First Hunting... Oh, we're not that anymore. Whoops, we changed names. Welcome to the Oregon First Hunting and Fishing Podcast. We're so glad that you tuned in, that you're listening. Uh, we made this show specifically for people who live in Oregon, Western Oregon, Western Washington, those of us in the uh, far west, Pacific Northwest that we feel like happen to get overlooked a lot in the hunting content industry because there's lots of big elk and big bucks over in Idaho and Colorado and Wyoming. But, you know, we have some pretty cool stuff here. We have a lot of people who live here that love this lifestyle. So if you chase blacktail deer, Roosevelt elk, you fish for spring Chinook, Rio turkeys, then you're our people. You're listening to the right show and we're glad that you tuned in. We just have a few announcements before we get into the show. We always want to point people to join our Facebook group. Our Facebook group is still Salem First Hunting and Fishing because we're based in Salem. We do events and those are all in the Salem area. Uh, we also have a Facebook page now though, Oregon First Hunting and Fishing. So if you'd like to like that, see the announcements of when our shows come out and what's going on there. We also have an Instagram account now that Eric is managing, Yep, doing the best he can with what he has. <laughs> He'll be yeah. pro soon. You just wait. Yeah, It'll hopefully. blow up. We're, not, we're never going to pay for ads, though, because that's just too far. That's trying too hard, right? Yeah, I think so. It's not really my, big my deal. But in this show, uh, we're going to talk about Eric and I's week in the outdoors. We're going to talk about the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife big game statistics. And we have an interview with guest Ryan Sparks. Very excited for it. Yeah, We've been looking forward to for quite a while, actually, I've been bugging you about this for, I don't know, probably a good six months. So, yeah. Thanks for having us. No, today. of course. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. yeah. We're coming at you from Ryan's uh, dining room, <laughs> dining room table set up, brought the whole studio out here to Beaverton, Oregon. Yeah. Yep. yep. Thank you guys for yeah. coming up and joining. Yeah. yeah, sweet. We want to talk about shop talk a little bit. Yeah, uh, another thing to look forward to, put on your calendar the last Monday of every month, or I'm sorry, the fourth Monday of every month. Yep. Uh, shop talk. We meet Ankeny Hill. It's near Jefferson, Oregon, and it's just a bunch of guys coming together who like to hunt and fish. We have a meal together. Usually there's breakout groups with pros who or speakers who come and talk about hunting and fishing and the life in the outdoors but it's really just an opportunity to connect with other outdoorsmen from our area so we want to invite you to that if you'd like to learn more reach out to us or uh, go ahead and join our facebook page and and uh, throw a post up up there and we'd be happy to help direct you and get you involved there well, today our guests our special guest ryan sparks very special <laughs> do you feel special i do that sometimes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Ryan Hales from uh, Haynes, Alaska, uh, came down here to Oregon State University. He fished with the Oregon State Bass Club. He's a tournament fisher. Uh, he's also a regional sales rep for Don Coffee. So if you guys don't know anything about Don Coffee, go check out doncoffee.com. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Ryan's a busy man. So once again, thanks for doing this. And uh, we'll get into some icebreaker Perfect. Questions. I love it. Let's ready? get it started. Cool. Hunting or fishing? I definitely probably go. I'd say fishing. I really enjoy them both. But, you know, most of my time takes me to the fishing side of it. Sure. Bait casting or spinning rod? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, I'd like to say the more manly casting, but you know what? I seem to have a spinning rod in my hands, I think, more than casting. If you said for fun. Really? Maybe the casting. Because I'm looking but... at this collection of, what have you got, like a dozen bait casters uh-huh. leaning up against the wall right there. Yep. Is it because all your spinning reels this are in probably your boat? in the boat, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's probably why. It's, it's that time of year. We... we affectionately named jay the king of finesse because mm-hmm. he's always you know catching some 
some giants on a spinning rod and that's one thing he talked about was you gotta have a spinning rod in your arsenal yep. so mine is the drop shot that's usually what oh really yeah all right that's kind of is that a little controversial what i've got into what do you mean by as controversial as like like you know well for a lot of people the drop shot is kind of the last thing you pull out of the box when nothing else mm-hmm. is working yeah, and honestly, it's usually one of my first rods on deck. So okay. I, I have enough confidence in that for either largemouth or smallmouth that that's always on my deck. I mean, even if I'm fun fishing, it's usually the one that I can always turn to. Sweet. Cool. Well, you, mm-hmm. maybe someday you'll be hailed the king of drop shot. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> River or lake fishing? Ooh, that one's tough. Um, I'd have to say the river just because usually the Columbia and the smallmouth is kind of what I gravitate to. It's kind of close to here and by far one of the best fisheries, I think, in the state and actually nationwide. So I'd probably say river, even though I love fishing lakes. So that's another tough one. Do you launch in the Columbia or do you launch down here in the Willamette and boat up? Oh, no. So usually like out of Hood River, Cascade Locks, that's like the section that's closest to me and what I like to fish the most but yeah wow as we all know it blows up there a lot so yeah i get i get stuck on the willamette quite a bit (laughs) bass or salmon fishing you know i grew up salmon fishing um still love it uh but i'd say my main passion has to be bass fishing um if you gave me a choice to go out and do something today i'd probably pick bass fishing well and judging by your your trophy wall i'd say bass fishing is kind of your your thing so yeah that's awesome nope thank you mono or fluoro uh definitely a floral guy um mono has its techniques and definitely it's times for either some bigger swim baits top water but i would be using fluoro most of the time i would say yeah that's kind of where i'm at too but I am a braid to floral guy, so yes. I do oh, use, okay. yeah, all right. definitely a braid. Not on my casting stuff as much. I know a lot of people like that, but all my spinning rods definitely braid to floral. So. Yeah, I'm thinking about switching to braid. Like even I, I bought some that, you know, I thought I was buying floral, but I think it was some sort of hybrid. So it still mm-hmm. has the memory, which is the whole reason why you don't get mono. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's been kind of disappointing, but I think oh, yeah. I might switch to I braid. I mean, everything about braids nice. It cuts through the water better. It doesn't have stretch to it. Um, makes everything a lot more sensitive. You can get away throwing a lot lighter diameter, so longer casting distances, longer shelf life. There's there's a lot of pros to throwing braid. Yeah, yeah. does it resist abrasion better? Like as far as oh, rubbing yeah. on rocks. Oh yeah. So uh, it's time for Eric and I to share some hunting and fishing stories from our week in the outdoors. I, I really don't want to go first, Eric. So I'm gonna <laughs> right. let you go first. Uh, so yeah, I've just I've been fishing a little bit. Um last week of course ryan you per- participated with us over at hag lake for cast for kids if you guys haven't heard about the cast for kids foundation check it out google it come out sign up uh you know help us in any way we can we're always looking for volunteers do you have any good stories from that day yeah so i got i, I actually got to fish with uh, a gentleman who was blind and man that guy he was he was so in tune to what was going on on the rod he he literally just you know kind of grip it in his finger and like grip the line yeah between his his you know index finger and his thumb and he just sit there and feel it all the minute little details going on and he could sit there and tell us how much water we were in that's, that's crazy incredible wow yeah i was like and he I, said he hadn't really fished that much had never fished before and he could still, I yeah. think he was fleecing you, man. I think he's no, like, I, was, I had to do the whole, can you see this? No. Yeah. He was a good kid. Um, Here, catch. <laughs> no, but it was funny. We were, we were watching, you know, uh, the graph and stuff. And I was, I was asking the guy who, whose boat I was on, Ed Chin. I said, what are we, 25 feet of water? And Eric, the kid, the blind kid, and he piped up and he said, well, I think it's about 23 feet. I look over at Ed and Ed's like giving me the holy crap. Yeah. Twenty three feet. So Dang, yeah, that's wild. That, that kid huh. was wild, but had a great time. Uh we had a lot of people come out. I think we had nearly forty boats. Yeah, yeah, it was up there. Um I think we had about forty kids and twenty boats or so. Oh, is that what it was? Yeah, yeah, right around there. I know we had more boats show up than we thought. It was probably more around close to thirty, but it was, yeah, probably it was a, good a great to have. turnout. Oh, yeah. Very yeah. good. Yeah. As long as there's not more boats than kids, right? Mm-hmm. Well, and we had this poor guy drive down. I think he was from the Portland area. Had a big old Hughes craft boat. Pulls in, comes up to me, and he goes, dude, I forgot my keys. 
Oh. And I'm like, oh, crap. So, I, you know, I jumped up in, into his boat, and I was trying every single key on my keychain to see if it would jiggle the lock enough. And But that would have been a fun boat to be on just because you could get several people on it. Uh-huh. Uh, but, yeah, it was, it, it was an amazing day. The weather was beautiful. Um, I think I was the last boat coming in off the water for and the day. And you slayed the bluegill. We did. Yeah, we slayed <laughs> Oh, yeah, bluegill. it's usually a bluegill fest. Yeah. I don't remember hearing a whole lot about any bass being caught in no not usually i mean a lot of that stuff you're just trying to catch the kids fish so a lot of it a lot of it you're throwing like a drop shot with the worm trying to get it down yep close to the bottom so it's like bluegill crappie perch um i know we caught a couple little tiny bass but yeah um the kids just love it they honestly like the boat ride more than anything so yep being out on the water Mm -hmm. yeah it's a great opportunity and those spider blocks out there they're loaded with bluegill Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's why the basket decent out there. Oh, yeah. yeah, and that's why they put them in that lake too. So when yep. they draw it down their like job. that, they got some structure for everything to go to. Yeah, well, that's awesome. Uh, I guess that I have to go now. I dun, dun, I, dun. I had a rough uh, go of it this time around. So this is my first year holding a bow in the in the field. Like I've I've called for one of my friends, Jericho, who archery hunts for a few years and you know he he got me some calls and told me what to do so you know that it's been kind of a a learning experience the last few years but he convinced me this year and it didn't take much convincing to go ahead and get a bow and try it out so i was hunting by myself tried to do a mountain bike hunt got to my original gate i was gonna park at but there was a pickup there so i went to plan b worked out good for me because uh i walk up the hill and i hear a stick break so I cow call and I hear a bunch of brush breaking. So yeah, there's a bull coming and he was out on the other side of this really small clear cut. And so I was up a steep hill that looks down into the clear cut. I was in a whole bunch of reprod, sort of that older reprod. That's a bunch of dead sticks right at your head level. So no way to quietly get through, but that was fine. Cause he thought I was a cow. A cow called a couple times and broke sticks right up to the edge of the cut. And, uh, by then he was looking right where I was. And there was actually two bulls, two, uh, raghorn satellite bulls. Um, I, I mean, long story short, it, the story didn't end well. Um, he came in frontal, he cut the distance hundred yards. He just came right to me and he hit 20 and he paused. I mean, he would have kept coming in, learning learning lesson for me. I should have waited. But I've been hearing a lot of talk about taking frontal shots lately. It's kind of a popular topic of conversation. I want to go out and say, from my experience as a beginner, you probably shouldn't take a frontal shot at your first elk. So took the shot, hit high. Once again, practice those steep downhill, uphill shots because a lot of us who are getting into archery practice flat shots over and over. I was shooting my bow every single day leading up to season, but I'm flat land. So side to side, I hit dead center, but I was high, never practiced a frontal, a downhill shot, like I said. And uh, arrow hit, bull went out. I saw where it hit at that point. He was about 50 yards broadside. I decided to, even though I told myself a maximum range would be 40, you know, I already had an arrow in him. I wanted to try to get another one clean miss right under his belly and then he never busted in fact his uh, buddy that was with him i, I kept calling him his little brother uh, it was a spike by four it was kind of weird you know combo there but he came into the trees with me and got within about 10 feet and i was just trying not to move to i didn't want to bust him especially since it wasn't a great shot, you know? And so I, I was just holding perfectly still. And then that bull got a whiff of me. He kind of trotted down to his buddy in the clear cut, but you know, he didn't like bust bust. And then they both calmly walked up into the reprod on the other side of the cut. That started, uh, what I did the math, 10 hours that day of tracking and eight hours the next day of tracking a blood trail that, you know, wasn't very strong and dried up pretty quick. Uh, we waited three. I called my buddy who I've archery hunted with, waited three hours to go in, went in, bumped him, wasn't dead. Long story short, he got onto a road and just walked. And I was able to track him. The blood had stopped when he hit the road, but I was able to track him because it's all dry and dusty for a whole three quarters of a mile. So it was one mile from the shot. And uh, then I lost tracks and gridded did all the stuff you're supposed to do 
never found him talk to other people and uh, the common opinion is that that bull is still alive you don't know though and so that's my uh my first arrow flung at a bull and i'm rest of my season i'm not going to go looking for a new bull you know the rest of my season is going to be spent just gritting looking everywhere making sure you know looking for birds seeing if he did die out there and there's coyotes and birds getting on him you know but uh yeah it was a it was a hard weekend where every every moment that i'm you know just kind of sitting around thinking my mind just goes back to that image in my head of the arrow sticking out of the bowl in a bad spot and i'm just like oh my goodness yeah can't believe it but you know a couple hard lessons learned and uh yeah that's a tough one yeah and a lot of guys don't even get you know that close or even get a shot on a bowl their first year so that's just pretty amazing basically to have killed a bull your first time it's hard because you know on one side of things i am thankful and excited that i got the opportunity and that i was able to call two bulls in at once but on the other hand i'm also like devastated that i blew it um yeah and that's hunting though i mean yeah seriously that's what it is and that's the other thing too if if, if i was a different person i totally could have smoked that other bull that Mm -hmm. was within 10 feet of me broadside looking for a cow he had no idea i was there i could have easily killed that bull and forgotten about the bull that I stuck, but I just really, you know, don't feel right about that. Even, even no, now, and that's good on you for realizing that too, especially yeah. your first year doing it. Yeah, I mean, looking to the rest of my season, like I said, I'm just going to be in that same spot where I think the bull might have gone. I mean, you know, they're looking for cows. He could be halfway across the county. Sure, I don't know, but I have this pipe dream in my mind that maybe I'll see him again. And if he did die, horrible tragedy, wasted meat, but at least I'd have the closure of you know sure finding the bowl that i injured that was my bowl they're a tough resilient creature i mean yeah they are definitely a tough animal but that was my week in the outdoors (laughs) no yeah that's that's a big week man like yeah that was all compressed into three days of you know Mm -hmm. elk hunting and two days of searching two days of searching yeah those are some long hours Yeah, yeah i gave it a hard effort so i feel good about you know, working so hard trying to find him. No, that's what you should do, honestly. So yeah. that's yeah. good on you for doing that. Yeah, It's a hard reality of archery hunting, I guess, you know. It's just you don't ever expect it to be your first one you ever call in is the nope. one you lose. Yeah. It's pretty disheartening, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Thankful for the opportunity. Bummed out that I blew it. I mean, that was a, a sad story, but we'll get into some happier news here on the show. This isn't just going to be me crying about the elk that I wounded and lost. Um we are for our local news story today we're going to talk about the big game statistics for oregon and uh, when i share these these are for 2022 and these are based off of the mandatory reporting that we all do when we you know even whether you kill an animal or not you have to report on your tag at the end of the season and otherwise you get charged a fine this we've got some pretty interesting numbers and i gotta say we have a lot of hunters in Oregon, man. Like, we don't have the biggest population of people, but we have a lot of people that spend time in the woods looking for something to kill. Not a lot of them are successful, but there are a lot of them out oh, there. Oh, yeah, and it's gaining more and more popularity. Yeah, especially the archery game. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, for example, I'm a new archery. There's a lot of new archery hunters. Oh, there's hunters. a ton of new yep. archery hunters. Yep, I think uh, everyone's getting tired of hanging out with 90,000. I said that correctly. 97,000 rifle deer hunters in 2022 mm-hmm. for the for the whole state. So I'll go ahead and get started. Here's what I want to do. I'm going to say what tag it is or what. It's not just a tag. It's animal. The general. Yep. It's, yep. And it's not just the general tag. It's, it's looking at the draw tags, the whole statistics for the total amount of hunters versus animals killed. Yeah, you're really putting us on the spot. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> and, know. And if you win, I will give you $10. Wow. I can't give it to you <laughs> today. Right. Right. But I will give you $10 if you the get this check. right on. Man, I shouldn't have said that. I don't want to give anyone $10. Eric, you're, I'm not going to give you 10 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> right. So 2022 archery deer. Once again, this is for all the draw tags, the general tag, the whole state of Oregon. There were 16,742 archery deer hunters. What percentage do you think took deer? I'm going to probably be way off. But I'm going to say like 12%. Okay. All right. I'll say half that, six. So you guys are both have pretty dismal outlook for uh, for the archery game in Oregon. <laughs> it was actually 20%. Wow. So, okay. And that's what I noticed. Archery, it must be because of the time of year and the technology we have nowadays. There's a lot of successful archery hunters. Yeah. 
Yeah. And they, they get some of the good seasons too, like yeah. Prime Rut stuff. and Exactly. And not to mention that the types of people who go out and archery hunt are usually a little bit more committed than your average rifle hunter. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of committed rifle hunters. I've been one for a long time, but mm-hmm. you know, there's also a lot of rifle a hunters of, that never get yeah. out of the truck. Yeah, correct. So for archery deer, like I said, six over sixteen thousand hunters, they killed three thousand one hundred thirty-three bucks. And here's the thing that was really interesting to me: what it breaks it down by class, like forky, three oh. point, four plus point. The biggest percentage in there. Well, yeah, the biggest uh, class. Class, or? yeah was four plus point bucks wow yeah 1100 of those bucks were four point or bigger wow for the archery which is really cool but once again we're looking at mule deer we're looking at blacktail we're looking at draw tags a lot of people are going to hold out for those but there's obviously a lot more general hunters than those draw tags which is cool so the next one archery elk what's your i'll, I'll give you the number of hunters there was 24,169 archery elk hunters. What do you think uh, percentage? I'll say 20% on that. Okay, all right. And I'll actually go a little higher than that. I'd say 26%. Oh, you guys went the wrong direction. Ah, really? 14%. Really? 14% of tax filled. Wow. Which I was surprised by that too. And I don't know if you can use my experience as the litmus test for what archery elk hunting is like, but I've encountered three bulls this season. Yeah. Well, I was just I figuring during the rut, like, calling them yeah, in. Yeah, exactly. They're um, talking. Yeah. You know, so I don't know what's up with that low number. Um, but for archery elk, 3,429 elk were killed. And once again, the biggest group class of bulls that were killed were six plus point. So branched bulls. And there was uh, 1,129. So wow. just about the same amount of four plus bucks taken as six plus bulls. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty cool there. All right, black bear. What do we think? There was uh though this is insane. I did not expect this many black bear hunters. Twenty eight thousand eight hundred seventy nine black bear hunters. What percentage of them filled their tags? Yeah, that's a tricky one because I mean a lot of that too sportsman's pack. So you get that yep. with your sportsman's pack. You so. know what? I didn't consider that. There's mm-hmm. probably a bunch of tag holders that never even uh, hunted. I, I guarantee right. you. Wow. I got one and I I never use it. So See, you're smart. That's why we have you on the podcast, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> <laughs> Let's hear it. What percent. percentage? This is a tough one because bear, bear hunters are usually very dedicated to you. Yeah. Um, the ones I know who a lot do of it. spring bear guys that are out there and they're very successful. Yep. I'm going to say 10%. All right. I'm going to go a little lower. I'll say seven. Oh, you, you guys were both pretty dang close. 9%. Wow. You were right All on right. it, Ryan. That was close. I just wanted to. I throw... bet out of hunters that actually do it, though, I bet it's yeah. close to 50 or more. Yeah, it has yeah. to. Well, especially, here's the thing that I'll point out, too. Southern Oregon is a totally different game for oh, bear yeah. hunting yeah. than yeah. where it's... we live. I drew the Northwest Area tag, and I was. I, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, spring bear, you know, there's going to mm-hmm. be bears everywhere because oh, yeah. you see all these YouTube videos. Yeah. And I didn't see a bear all season. No, you're lucky yeah. to see yeah. one sometimes up here. We're yeah. down there. You can go see 10 bears a, bear a day sometimes. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the Trask unit, which is the unit I hunted the most, only had a 6% success. Wow. So it's below the average of 9%, which like you said, there's a lot mm-hmm. of people who don't hunt. Uh, but the Trask unit would be a draw tag. Uh, well, you can still hunt fall general, I guess, but mm-hmm. for the spring... Um, so out of those almost 29,000 bear hunters, 2,642 bears were killed, a majority being boars, which is what a lot of people target. All right. Here, here's a cool one. We're almost done with these, uh, cougar 2022 statewide. What percentage of cougar hunters? Cause that's, that's part of the sports pack too. So correct. And a lot of people who target how many hunters were on that? Okay, there was 16,269 cougar hunters. Personally, I'm going to go high because I, I, think, I think the cat count the last couple of years been off. We've been getting a lot more sightings and stuff, so I'll say 30. Wow, higher than the archery elk and the archery deer and the bear, higher than all the other tags? Sometimes you got to go big. All right. And All I'm right. going to go really low on it just because I've hunted a bunch in Oregon in my life and I still haven't yet to see a cougar. So really? I will go, I'll go with five. Five? All right. Lower is 2%. Oh, yep. That was 2%, which when I was doing this, that's what I guessed. I got it right on the, Did you? Right on the money. So I was pretty proud. I've only seen one in the field and it was actually a few weeks ago. Oh, wow. 
But yeah, I, I've seen them driving, but you'd think with how high the population is, you'd see a lot more. Oh, you would, that's, but that's they're sneaky, sneaky They sneaky animals. will let you walk right past, just like oh, a blacktail. Yeah. They'll let you walk within 10 feet of them. And yep. they really blend in so good. Yes. Yeah. And they're yeah. shorter to the ground, and especially out here in Western Oregon where I'm hunting, adjust, usually you can... Yeah, and you see that face uh-huh. looking at you, just mm-hmm. makes your heart sink, man. Oh, yeah. So there was only 345 cougars killed statewide in 2022. Wow, that's it nothing wow that is i feel like more probably get hit by cars that yeah. is ridiculous that's crazy um all right we're almost done just two more categories rifle deer this is the big one you know obviously almost a hundred thousand hunters ninety-seven thousand five hundred eight hunters what percentage of those guys killed deer i will go with i'll say 20 percent on that all right all right i think i'm gonna go with 12 12 eric What's going on, man? Yeah, twenty-seven percent. So I'm surprised by twenty-seven. That's that's pretty good. I mean, I haven't looked at the national averages. Uh, I've heard like people mention that the national average for elk is ten percent, and we were right around there. But for rifle deer, twenty-seven percent out of ninety-seven thousand hunters. Yeah, that's uh twenty-six thousand five hundred nineteen deer killed. That's a lot of deer. Yeah. That's that a lot is, of deer. It is a lot. <laughs> and uh, the biggest class of bucks killed by the rifle hunters were Forkies. Yep. At, I, uh, I can see that. 8,700. Does that have spikes on there too? It had spikes on there. Um, but Forkies, there were more Forkies yeah, killed. I can see. Forkies are done. I know a lot of people that won't shoot spikes. So yeah, me I, too. That makes sense. I've passed up on a lot of spikes since they oh, made it I have legal. as well, yeah. Yeah. And now that uh, spike hunting is legal, I was surprised too. You'd think there'd be a lot of people out of those 97,000 just shoot a spike because mm-hmm. it's there. But uh, surprisingly, the second highest number was uh, three point. Yep. Three point. Um, but yeah, Forkies were the highest by a pretty good margin. I can see that. Yep. All right. Last category. Rifle elk. What do we got? We got 60,906 hunters. Mm. That's going to be a higher number. 26%. All right. I'm going to go with 12. 19. So close to 20. Okay. Which is, I don't know how the national average for rifle elk is, but that's pretty good. Um, Yeah. Once again, all your draw tags, all your damage tags. Yeah, Hair I guess tags, that's true. There's a lot of know, damage tags, too. It, it did break it down by bulls versus just elk killed in general. 11,476 elk killed, including hair tags, but uh, 6,961 bulls. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the biggest class was spikes because there's a lot of spike-only mm-hmm. rifle tags. Um, 2,228 spikes killed wow. out of that. So, yeah. That's a lot of spikes, man. Oh, yeah. That's like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, across the whole state of Oregon, sure, but mm-hmm. fill a few, few freezers, you know? Yeah. Yeah, honestly. I mean, cool. But that's the, the State of the Union Some interesting 2022. Statistics, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, honestly. So now it's time to get into our interview with you, Ryan. Perfect. Ryan Sparks. Tell us your origin story. How'd you get here? How'd, how'd you migrate the way you did and kind of what are you up to now? Yeah. Start you want there? long story, short story? Just kind of go through it. Give it to Medium us. story. Yeah, medium. So <laughs> I mean, starting off, like you guys said, grew up Haynes, Alaska, Southeast Alaska. Um, Which is where Eric's from. Correct. Really got the best of both worlds because I grew up, we moved to Gearhart on the coast. Yep. Pretty much did the summers in Alaska, fishing, fishing in the summers and then back for school in the winter and I mean, you have those amazing salmon runs up there in the summer that it's just, you can't beat it anywhere else in the world. So I got that. Then I got to come back and steelhead fish, false chinook fish. And for, the, for the listener, whereabouts Gearheart? Yeah. So Gearheart's up Northwest Oregon, um, close to Astoria and between Astoria and Seaside. Yeah. Nice. Um, just on the um, Northern Northwest Oregon coast. So sweet. I got super lucky. Had a bunch of coastal rivers right there that were always filled with fish um, throughout different times of the year and some really good hunting too. Awesome waterfowl, good elk and deer hunting. Um, just got real lucky growing up with that. And it's just always been in my blood and one of my biggest passions to go out there and no matter what it is in the outdoors, just being outside and being able to go chase it. Um, it's been one of those things that has been very near and dear to me. And I'm lucky that I've been able to stay in the industry and kind of work and find jobs within the industry to keep my passion and hobbies and um, work kind of all together. So I've been very lucky on that. I went to Oregon State. That's kind of where I Started my bass fishing career, if that's what you want to call it. I went to a wrong classroom and 
this kid sitting next to me saw a sticker on my laptop and asked, hey, do you like fishing? I'm like, oh, yeah, I grew up in Alaska. And he goes, oh, do you want to go to this bass club meeting tonight? I'm like, bass club? I mean, what, what are you even <laughs> talking about? And I'm like, I, I had caught a few bass before that. Um, my grandpa had a little asphalt pond, and we used to go out there and catch some crappie bluegill and bass. Um, but it was mostly like worm and bobber and super, super yeah, simple yeah. type <laughs> stuff. So. The it was pretty secret weapon. Yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> I went to that meeting with a buddy, and that's the first day I met Jay Ellis, too. And, um, oh, cool. I had no idea who he was. I wasn't following bass fishing. Like, I've watched it on TV, but I couldn't tell you who, what guy was. And um, everybody was so excited in the meeting. It was super cool um, that Jay took the time out and was able to come there being with his history i mean this year he got yep. inducted to the fishing hall of fame i mean yeah it's just incredible what he has done and i remember that meeting he gets up comes to talk to me and goes hey you want to go steal fishing next week um in a drift boat and i was like you Sweet. know I, i've never been in a drift boat before i'm like yeah that'd be so awesome and i really kind of got into steel fishing it was one of those things that was still kind of difficult for me at the time um at least for putting up numbers steelhead fishing and I went, I remember the first cast we put in up on the Silettes, I hooked a fish. It went nuts all over the place. Wow. The anti-reverse was broken on the spinning reel he gave me. It was, <laughs> the whole story was great. Yeah. And honestly, the end of it, I landed the fish. It was a 17-pound hatchery steelhead. Wow. And, um, that's cool. Yeah, that's where my relationship started with Jay. We we caught like five or six fish as an early November trip. and Wow. Yeah, he took my grade point average down a lot in college. Uh, <laughs> we, we did a lot of fishing, but I wouldn't trade it for the world. Um, it's yeah. what really got me into bass fishing. Then I fished. My first Oregon State tournament was the Civil War on Newburgh against um, the Oregon Ducks. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It was a fun one. Um, it was a fall fishing one. Is kind of, no, I guess it was early spring when it had been. Still cold? Yeah, it was cold. Um but man, it was fun. Um, it was the fall. It had to be the fall. And, um, I remember going to that meeting, the guys were like, Oh, you got to come fish this. And I'm looking at, I'm like, you guys, I have no idea what I'm doing. I had two ugly sticks at the time, a spinning <laughs> rod and casting rod. And, um, hey, don't hate on the ugly stick. Hey, man. Hey, I love those. I, so I grew up fishing, <laughs> but I remember going out there and I was with a guy named Mike basket. Who's from the Salem area. I'm great oh. fisherman. Uh, very, very involved in the bass fisheries and, I got on the boat. He goes, you can't bring those rods on my boat. I'm like, really? Really? <laughs> I remember I threw a brush hog on a spinning rod and caught this largemouth out of this um, brush pile out there. And he goes, yeah, you're done using that. And that was my first day using G. Loomis rods. And wow. I remember after that day, I went and bought two of them, um, a casting and spinning rod of G. Loomis. And then I never looked back. And now, as you can see, my house is filled with G. Loomis rods. <laughs> yeah, um, no kidding. Just got absolutely addicted to it. And... I was lucky enough at the time we had the Bassmaster and FLW circuit on the West Coast for college fishing, and that's where I got involved with that, and it was such a cool thing to do with the school. You're teamed up with Oregon State, and I ended up going fishing five national championships wow. in college. So it was super cool. Jay helped us out a lot, too, just from his knowledge throughout the whole nation, whether it was helping us find a boat over in South Carolina or wherever <laughs> it was, and just some information because, I mean, we were traveling out there, never fished these places ever, and yeah. we were able to go out there, and absolutely, it was a blast. It Imagine was a lot of fun. Imagine if you never would have walked into that wrong class. You, you, know, ever, you ever I, think, I about, think that? about it a you lot, do? to be honest. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's just some things what were, kind of coincidence yeah. is that? That's wild. Uh -huh. A lot of people don't know that Oregon State actually has one of the bass, best bass fishing teams in the country. They do, and they're very involved. I mean, when I was back there, we had maybe 10 or 12 kids, but yep. now it's up in the 40s to 50s. Yep. I really? Know. Yeah. Completely unsponsored as well. Mm -hmm. they're, yeah, they don't get funded. They don't have a boat. They don't have nope. sponsors. They're paying for their own stuff. They're getting discounted rates on some of their tackle and rods, but you know, for the most part, they're paying for their own fuel. Yeah, come know. on, fishing industry, let's give them some uh, love. Come on, yeah. support yeah. our local guys. Ryan, Ryan, and Jay Ellis both graduated from OSU, so I'd think that you know we could get an eye to kind of mm -hmm. try to pick that up a little bit. Uh, you know, this isn't texas or louisiana we don't we don't have guys coming here for full rides on bass scholarships no yeah 
and it's amazing what it is in the southeast and yeah the kind of programs that are involved in that now yeah i mean even from when i was in college to now it's it's insane what what that sport has really taken off to be sure yeah i mean you look at all the names in the elite series events and a lot of those guys grew up college fishing a lot of those guys were the top names in the college circuit and that's how they made it to the big leagues yeah i always kind of refer back to the joe rogan thing where if joe rogan tells you to you know start a podcast you should probably start a podcast well jay ellis told me you need to go pro and you need to be on the elite series yeah, you know, I know he's had that conversation with me, I'd say probably many times ever since college and fishing. And it was a decision that I've had multiple times and always wanted to really pursue it. And that's why I really got involved in the Oregon Bass Nation, just because sure. you could qualify for regionals, qualify for nationals, and go on and fish a classic. And that was always like one of my dreams is definitely going and fishing the classic um this year they're changing it up a little bit so i'm gonna have to find out some different avenues to try on that but yeah it's definitely something i've always wanted to pursue it's always kind of in my back pocket and well if jay tells you to go pro you should go pro (laughs) (laughs) so that is like a goal of yours it was i mean to be honest this is so expensive and the money involved and just that leap of first being able to do it i mean coming out of college it was pretty much out of the cards of i put most of my money into going to college and doing that and then like i said i followed the fishing career and been very happy to where i'm at today so it's just been one of those things if you really want to just leap and jump and do that or not yeah well and that kind of takes you into what you've alluded to that you get to work in an industry that you know you're pretty happy with you know you're working for dawn coffee so tell us a little bit about that what you do what your title is and yeah so dawn coffee i've been working for them about two years now um i worked with the lachlan trade shows before that kind of bean sales for five years in that for the sportsman shows in the northwest and that's where really where i met these guys and dawn coffee is a rep group for a lot of people that don't know that so we rep a bunch of different products both on the hunting and fishing side the fishing side we have shimano g loomis power pro and jackal and then on the hunting side our big ones like gsm outdoors followed by a lot of other clothing and um outdoor shooting sports activities cool cool wow and that takes you pretty much in the northwest region, right? Yeah, correct. So I I am Oregon, Idaho, my two areas. So okay. I'm in Oregon, Idaho, traveling pretty much every day out of the week, um, seeing people, seeing dealers, uh, getting all that done. But we also travel nationally to a lot of the different shows throughout the nation. So we're always on the road and going. But Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, what's kind of the ne- next step in your career for you? As far as fishing goes, fishing goes, you know, like I said, I, I took the job of being tournament director last year for the Oregon Bass Nation. So I'm kind of running that right now. We'll see what happens going further. I'd like, I would like to get into some of the Wombass events, fish the U S open, do some of that stuff on the West coast and try to qualifying and get my name out there that way. But you know, every year is different. Oregon's got great, great trails between, both the bass nation series you got the tbf and then um you got northwest bass up in washington they run a great circuit and then the aba coming back to oregon too so there's just so many opportunities and with my job i get so busy i don't get to really pursue the circuits as much as i would like to but it's fun jumping into a bunch of these different tournaments and just kind of pursuing it from there we have such great fishermen in the northwest it really gets overlooked a lot especially in our bass fisheries yeah hey that's why we're doing what we're doing man yeah i know (laughs) it's it's, it's some tough love for the west coast and with bass nation pretty much pulling out of the whole west coast this year and running all their nationals and regional qualifiers back pretty much everything's east of the mississippi that yeah it's unfortunate because i feel like that was one of our last big events Mm -hmm. out in the west coast so I take it day by day, just see different opportunities and kind of where stuff goes. Cool. You said you were a tournament director for something? Yeah, tournament director for Oregon Bass Nation. So we basically have four qualifying events throughout the year in Oregon. Usually we try to do two different weekends. And then um, 
this year we're having a regional qualifier and then it goes to the nationals but usually we had the whole west coast qualifier which was fun i mean we all got to pick a week and go travel and you'd see people and it's cool because like i said i did the college stuff so there's a lot of people i know that yeah yeah have stayed in that so it's kind of like the big reunion out of the yeah, year getting fun, to see dude. them and yeah. see all of them so cool. that's cool and so like day of like what are you doing at the tournament like you're as far as tournament director goes for like this stuff it's a lot of prep work you're getting the scales ready you're getting all the gear ready and on the other side of it you're getting your boat ready and everything making sure everything's ready for you to fish the tournament and then on the so you're fishing while you're in that role yep correct wow. yeah conflict of interest i'm just joking <laughs> yeah, I know, right? no more of it just wears you out and you yeah. don't fish as good as yeah. you probably should but <laughs> Um, I love it. I love dealing with all the people in it too. Uh, we have a great group of guys in the state of Oregon, so it's, yeah. it's just cool. It's really cool. How close knit. I think the whole fishing community is in Oregon as a whole. And it's, it's some cool opportunities come out of that. I like it, man. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what can be done to bring bass fishing back to the Pacific Northwest? Yeah, that's a tough one. A I mean, it, it, yeah, I don't even know if I have the correct answer. Or, yeah anything for that really like someone someone high up just needs to turn their eyes to the west coast right yeah and i'm we almost had a bass elite elite series on the columbia this year it was supposed wow. to be out of um, tri-cities area up that there. would have been awesome unfortunately yeah. that got moved and then or i guess that was the year before and then our regional was supposed to be up there too for the bass nation side of it and then that got moved to lake powell so it's just trying to get some more involvement wow. just in yeah. the west coast i feel like so it is that what drives the move is not enough people or is it I, not necessarily factors? i think it's just more money and i hate to say it but yeah it's yeah. for them it's a lot of travels it's a lot of distance if uh-huh. you look at the road map coming all the way up to tri-cities for them it's just way out of the way it costs a lot of money when they can go drive to lake powell from sure the east coast on a straight road and be wow. there in half the amount of time really so. yeah that's true yeah wow it's, just, it's, it's such an interesting world to me to think about you know like the whole bass fishing pro bass and how it's so regional you'd think oh it is and US it's nuts like if, cool but have you so been regional. down south and seen any of that I have stuff not. down there oh it nope. is insane i mean just for our college national tournaments i mean we'd fill up i mean it's insane how many people would just show up to watch it wow yeah, yeah. Well, Jay told a story when he was on about the the caravan that would follow him. Oh around. yeah, yeah. yeah. hundred and fifty boats. Oh yeah. yeah, which I can't even. I've never even seen a lake with one hundred fifty boats on it. Like I can't, I'm blown uh-huh. away by that. Oh know? yeah, it's nuts. <laughs> yeah, I w- I have a question for you, Ryan. Yeah. Um, what tournaments are you looking forward to? Do you have anything that you're going to be fishing next yeah, year? So next year, I'll finish off this year. We have our regional event, the 21st, 22nd on Hood River out of uh, in October for smallmouth. And that's one of my favorite fisheries, especially in the fall. They're just chomping and biting super good. Um, that's the one I'm looking forward to mostly for the end of this year. Sweet. But always like the Moses Lake one, the Nixon's Invitational. Mm-hmm. I know that's in May. That's one of my favorite ones. It fished so good last year. It was absolutely crazy. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard Moses Lake is just off the chain. It's, it's a crazy fishery. Where's that at? Washington. Moses Lake, Washington. Like it, is it in the east part of Washington or the west part? It's east. East, yeah. okay. Over by like potholes. Uh, oh, okay. It's yeah, pot incredible fishery. And we hit it right this year. I mean, we had, I, I wish I could remember right. I know we had almost 21 pounds for both days and we wow. ended up in night. So that'll tell you how good the fishing was. Yeah. And that's a good size bag. <laughs> yeah. So. I mean, wow. it was just incredible. I remember going up to the scale, having 21 pounds, and two guys in front of us had like 24, 23, and we're like, uh-oh. Wow. <laughs> it's going to be one of those tournaments. <laughs> but, yeah, for next year, what I'm really excited for, um, especially with the Bass Nation side, our 10-mile opens February 17th um, at the Frostbite Open. Yep. Everybody, it's kind of like the kickoff for the year everybody's super super excited to get out there and fish and it draws so many boats to it usually get come out of hibernation 50 plus and boats. Hit the water. yeah 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 so that's with 10 mile yeah that's down at 10 mile okay but 10 miles fish so good this year it's mm-hmm. been incredible so really looking forward to that next year and then our regular circuit tournaments we'll have the bass nation series up april 20th and april 21st out of boardman up on the columbia sweet and then may 18th and 19th back down at 10 mile which 
that is just incredible yeah that's such a good fishery yeah and it, it's cool because that one's right on the coast yeah and so like you know you a lot of times i don't equate bass fishing with the coast but we have devil's lake picking up a ton which we talked about last episode 10 mile is known as a great bass lake you know there's some good bass fishing around oh it is yeah yeah it, a lot of that coastal stuff and especially down by 10 mile I mean, you have silk who's tacking it yeah well hink all those really good lakes that are kind of down in that area well and, and then, striper fishing's getting good down there yeah, too super good oh that's cool yeah. I, i've never caught a striper before mm-hmm. that i've caught fun. a couple in oregon but uh, yeah yeah i haven't been that lucky yet yeah and then even moving away from the coast hag lake yep. you know mm-hmm. for a long time has had the state record smallie which it's a hard lake to figure out it's hard to get on fish at that lake but then people who do do good you know mm-hmm. there's, there's a lot of good bass fishing around here oh yeah I've had i grew some up great fishing the, the yam hill river in mcminnville because i grew up there mm-hmm. every day after school as a kid and biggest bass i ever caught was just down there you know on the little creek yeah uh with my buddy we skipped this skipped an assembly during school <laughs> and went fishing and mm-hmm. uh, you Heathens. know it's just there's there's a lot of great bass fishing around here in oregon yeah, yeah. no very much so so we wanted to ask you uh for some tips you know we, we we all want success in the field on the water that's what we're here for it's what we Obviously, you know, the experience of just being out there is great, but the more success, the better, right? So we want to know if you could give some tips for us and for our listeners, uh, how to catch bass in September. Yeah, September, it can still be tough or it can be really good. It's kind of one of those fall transition months where you're coming from summer, going to fall. A lot of it will depend on water temp and just water as general, um, whether it's raining stuff is moving up fish are starting to bite more when that temperature starts to drop i mean those fish start to eat and build up for winter time which it's awesome you can still get some good top water fishing in but i would say i mean for the smallmouth side a lot of them are still going to be feeding on some smaller bait so any of your craws like tubes small jigs um and then in your swim bait side some smaller like kite tech um rhythm wave type smaller baits for that and then of course drop shot i'm a big drop shot guy <laughs> and um ned rigs kind of the whole arsenal plays they're kind of feeding wide open because it's transitional they're yeah getting ready for they're winter. feeding wide open and like i said you can still catch them on top water sometimes i've caught them into october on top water so what part of the water are you seeing the most success though? yeah so a lot of it they're they're kind of moving up um with small mouth you're fishing a lot like you're fishing for salmon or trout like really? trying to hit okay. the eddies ripples and you have to look at that on the big scale like fishing the columbia and the different rock shelves because they're ambushing prey they're getting up there and ambushing prey especially in the current a lot of that fishing's done from basically zero feet of water down to about 20 feet that time of year it can be really good and i love to f- kind of focus around that 15 foot 15 foot line usually okay. out there and then yeah. for largemouth a lot of it's flipping wood this time of year your grass is kind of might start dying off once it gets colder you might not get the best top water bites but throwing reaction bait spinner bait square bills fishing a lot of that wood and you're fishing anywhere from i'd say three to about 10 feet a lot for those largemouth especially on some of our coastal lakes but flipping's pretty good still you can throw jigs sinkos and when you say 10 feet you're talking about the bait is in 10 feet of water. You're not talking about the water being 10 feet deep. Well, I'm talking about it being 10 feet deep. Sorry. Okay, so yeah. you're on the bottom. Yeah, on Got the bottom. It. Got the, it. Yeah. And so what about rivers versus lakes? Are you fishing different? Yeah, so I'll be fishing a little bit differently. The rivers, it just depends. It depends how cold it will get. I mean, you're kind of done with all your runoff of snow, so they might stay a little warmer faster, but the lakes will have a different transition period where it'll kind of turn over. I guess you'd be fishing, uh, that's a tough one. The river, you're mostly fishing for smallmouth, I yeah, guess. So yeah. I'd kind of stick with your smallmouth techniques. Either the Willamette, Columbia are kind of the two big ones. I know you got like John Day and Umpqua too. Yeah. But those will start slowing down faster just because they'll get a little bit colder. Yeah. Um, the lakes... Uh, I guess you'll be fishing that. Like I said, mostly largemouth. I mean, we have a few smallmouth opportunities like hag, but a lot of that will be your largemouth fishing. I'm curious, is there like a weather pattern that you wait for and that you get excited for? Like, let's say there's a cold snap or, or yeah. a rainy week as we transition that you're like, okay, I got to hit the water on this first Yeah, and what's cool is like last year it was tough because 
I went stayed hot all the way into the fall and then, yeah i then remember deer hunting in october fast. and it yeah. was like 80 <laughs> and we never really had that fall transition so i'm looking at a lot at the low temps and kind of trying to figure out where it's going to average out through the day to where it will start that cooling trend and we're not quite there yet but i mean if you wake up in the morning early like i was down fishing the Salus a lot of this last weekend and you're there morning and you're putting on a full jacket. Yeah, it's getting cold at night. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's that fall. It's kind of in the air. So I'm going to start looking at it, but I'm looking for that water temp to drop really more than okay. actual conditions. Because so, the fish don't care that much about the air, right? No. It's the water. No. And I want to, I would love to see it down kind of lower 60s. I mean, it's still in the high 70s. So once wow, it gets yeah. down kind of lower 60s into the 50s, a lot of those bigger fish start biting. And it kind of just activates them, and just to, that's when they just want to like eat everything they can. Goes off. Oh yeah, yeah, it can be awesome. Some of my best days all year will be in the fall. Really? Yeah. So cool. like, I it's hard because I love hunting that side of it too. So yeah, trying to juggle the time on time. that, like yeah. I always, I always oh, said I for feel that yep. for Oregon, the month of October, I wish it went six months because. Yeah. There's just so month, much dude. to do, and it's, it's right a, here now. You got duck season opening yeah. up. You got bass. Mm-hmm. You got salmon. You got deer oh, yeah. season. Yeah, and then all your upland stuff opens. You got yep. pheasant, quail, dove. Like, yep, it's wide open, and it's so hard to juggle all the stuff in that yeah. month. But and sometimes <laughs> you can go do a cast and blast. Hey, and it gets get, harder when you get yeah. married. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Yes, <laughs> I love it. So considering that the water temperature is really what matters when we get that first frost in october does that change your fishing strategies all or is it just all about water it's all about water temperature i mean you can definitely shock the fish if it jumps way down from high to real cold and that's what happened last year i mean we had all that like early snow and that super cold weather that just shocked them and they went to like winter mode of just locking up so yeah i just stress just watching the water temp and it's funny like people like do you get excited for it i'm I'm going fishing no matter what. I'm just hoping that it's going to be <laughs> yeah. down that cold. So okay. I, I'll find them one way or the other. It's just how good is that day really going to be? So right now we're still in summer water temp. Mm-hmm. What's something that you're doing to get on fish? Yeah. So I just think of it being tough fishing. So kind of get more finesse kind of go down in size on all your baits, almost fishing like you'd think you'd be fishing in the winter, like super yeah. slow. Uh, sometimes you'll get good morning and afternoon bites. So that's kind of what I'd really be focusing on. You get those cooler temps where they might be real real good feeding at low light conditions got it so i'd really really focus on the mornings and afternoons right now but for midday kind of going a little bit deeper a little bit slower especially for the next couple weeks i'd say until we kind of get into october and get those lower temps are you looking for shadows when it's like sunny out yeah that's more like a midday thing so a lot of those fish will kind of move up and position on shadows and shade later in the day i'd say closer to like 11 noon and then into the afternoon kind of your hottest parts of the day but they should be moving around actively feeding yeah in the mornings that's when i suggest throw reaction baits kind of cover the water whether it be a square bill any type of crankbait really jerk bait chatter bait spinner bait swim jig just those kind of moving reaction bait which allows you to cover water too you can cover that water faster and usually find fish kind of in congregation um, and kind of figure out where they're at or figure out a pattern on kind of what they're wanting, whether it's on wood, grass, whatever it may be for that day. What I'm hearing is when it's hot out and it's bright and sunny and the water's still warm from summer, you're not really like fishing open areas that are the sun's blasting like you'll move to shadowy areas yeah yeah a lot of times like for largemouth they'll get on wood and some type of cover or hang in like the shaded areas smallmouth's a little different usually they'll go a little bit deeper um, okay to get rock away from piles the sun. and stuff yeah. yeah so they just won't be up mornings a lot of times will be a, a up feeding in that super shallow water and then they'll kind of transition a little bit deeper in the afternoon so like hey yeah. lake a couple of weeks ago going out fishing after that kids cast for kids event all those fish were pretty much in 15 to 25 feet of water out there for example yeah and that's a mixture of both largemouth and small mouth there just because you don't have that cover right now that's up on the banks i mean this is a good chance to ask about hag lake have you found much success there i have 
it it's one of those likes that's real stingy for me like i'll go out and have an awesome day and then i could go out the next day and struggle real hey, bad i feel that with the trout fishing out yeah. there but i've never had a great bass fishing oh day. i guess it yeah. goes all around then yeah but, uh, <laughs> it's one of those lakes it gets pressured so hard so you kind of gotta yeah. think outside the box and try to do something that not everybody else is doing i know spring can be really good when the water's up and they'll get tight to the bank and you can kind of cover water and do that uh-huh. this time of year they're kind of any type of structure you can find fish that like yeah try to find structure because that's what they're going to be holding on this yep. time of year mm-hmm. so i'm a river fisher through and through that's like what i end up fishing 99 percent of the time so going to a lake it's hard to kind of switch strategies yep what are like just i know i already kind of asked this but what what are some of the things you're doing different in a in a lake a lake like just breaking down a lake going to a new lake um what i'm looking for first if i can get a good map or kind of see the contour lines of the lake usually i'll start with the points of a lake try to figure out what kind of points it has a lot of fish will hold on those and it'll give you a good judgment of the lake what's in it what type of grass hard bottom um what's happening with that lake so i'll start usually on the points if i'm not catching fish like i'll run a couple points not catching them there i'll start working into like they call them the secondary points or secondary banks kind of getting back in some of those arms and fingers bays whatever whatever that lake has to it and kind of just keep working your way trying stuff until you maybe you find the ticket to the lake and i mean some days i'll be honest sometimes this is not there and you you won't find that but kind of just breaking it down i mean you have a big body of water so focus small and then if that's not working focus smaller on that so wow okay yeah (laughs) and it may be something where the west side of the lake's not working go to the east side um maybe snake your way back into one of the arms and just keep trying different stuff um then just don't get stuck on one thing well what's the deepest you're fishing when the water's hot deepest usually about 25 okay yeah that's probably about the deepest i'll fish and it gets colder you move it up i mean more of your optimal temp it's hard in the lakes because there's a turnover so depending where that fish is going to be at certain times of the year um, but once it gets colder from those higher temps, those yeah. fish kind of start moving up and feeding a lot more. They get more aggressive. Yep. So yeah, I would start moving kind of up near the shore once that starts happening. Yeah. I like it. Sweet. Well, that, that's a lot of great tips and information, man. You just kind of put it all out on the line there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, not <laughs> the only much. thing you didn't give us is colors. So yeah. I feel like that's yeah. good. <laughs> awesome. Uh, thank you. So I just realized that we, we kind of skipped an important thing. We always like to ask people, what's your favorite hunting or fishing experience? And that's a tough one. Um, I'll probably just give you the top two. Uh, I caught a 10-pound largemouth two years ago in the state of Oregon, and that was always like my bucket list is catching a 10-pound. And it didn't matter in the Northwest. (laughs) Like I just wanted that 10-pounder, and doing that in the Northwest was huge with like a northern strain fish. And I remember hooking it. I won't say where it was, but I remember (laughs) hooking it and getting it up to the boat. And I didn't know it was that big until I saw it go across the water. Yeah. And that moment of just sheer panic, I would probably call it more than Mm -hmm. excitement of just, I need that fish. It needs to be in the boat. (laughs) Once that fish got in the net and got on the floor of the boat, like I just broke down. Like it was just like, Oh that is like you've been working fish. for like, that. Yeah, that was just like, and it was a shocker. Like it was something you weren't really expecting where I was. And that's cool. Yeah. I remember getting it in the live well and just shaking so bad. I'm like, <laughs> I got to wait for a minute to put it on a scale. Like I didn't know if it was 10 pounds. I go, that's, I know it's the biggest fish I've ever caught, but I didn't know if it was 10 pounds. And I remember that's when it went, it was like 10.2. And oh, wow. I remember after it was on the scale, I just was shaking my head and just pure disbelief. And yeah. Honestly, another top moment was catching my first northern pike with my dad up in Canada. Um, there's a oh, lake, cool. Desi Ash Lake, up near Whitehorse, and that was always my top fish. Like, I always wanted to catch one. Don't know why. It was a cool colored, mean fish. And growing up, and I remember seeing it, not being able to catch it, and then it kind of swam off, and we chased it, and I threw this fluke over it. And it just came up and inhaled it. And I still remember setting the hook, everything clear as day and getting it in the boat and just like screaming, like almost at the top of my lungs. <laughs> I was so excited over that. Yeah, and that's awesome. It's just some of those moments like that. Like, yeah. 
I mean, they'll stick with you forever. Yeah, and that's why it. we do it. Yeah. yeah, I love it. That's awesome, dude. Sweet. So an important part of our show, something that we always try to bring and ask is what are your spiritual motivations behind your life in the outdoors? Like I'm sitting in this room right now. There's taxidermy all around me. You have a fishing shelf, pictures of your girlfriend on the wall with all these animals, you know, like, like hunting and fishing is a part of your life and who you are. And I just really love to hear your perspective on on how the outdoors has impacted not only who you are, but what's your spiritual connection to that life? Yeah. And I know for a lot of people, it's hard to understand or some people just don't get it. But like for me growing up one, it was a business in my family, just being on the commercial fishing side of stuff. But then it was also just one of those things where I get pure joy and everybody that was in Alaska pretty much hunted or fish. So it was kind of a way of life thing, but it was also that connection that you had with people and friends and like just talking about catching some of those, some different catches in your life that were just, it was so special just being with those people at that time and having those connections, having those stories, being able to laugh, look back and see how important either, whether you're talking fishing or hunting, it doesn't really matter in my opinion. It's just, that special opportunity that you're spending in the outdoors and just kind of that back and forth with nature. It's something that's very special to me. And I talk about a lot on a lot of my fishing trips. I go with people. I was just on one where we're laughing in a boat. Fishing wasn't that good, but it was just being there with your friends and just the pure joy that it gave us just being there together. And it didn't matter if we even caught a fish, to be honest with you. It was just that, that connection. So I'm curious, uh, it sounds like your experiences in the outdoors has been an important part of bringing you together with people Mm -hmm. and a lot of your relationships are based on that. I'm curious if your life in the outdoors has any kind of connection with your relationship with God. Yeah, it has. I mean, I grew up in a very Christian family and went to church all the time and it was something that. And it's very important to me, especially with my grandparents and everything growing up. And it was definitely, I would say, a spiritual experience just being in the outdoors and being able to do what really I loved and was able to share that. Thinking of your identity and who you are as a hunter and a fisherman, imagine what would it be like if that was taken away and that wasn't a part of who you are. Yeah, and that's a, that's a tough question. Honestly, like I love sports and that set of stuff, but like fishing and hunting is my passion. It's everything I do all the time. Like I've said before, it's work and play and it's everything to me. So I could never imagine not being able to do it um, either on the hunting or fishing side of it. Like that would be. Yeah. Like even hearing you talk about how you've crafted your life around it, even talking about your career being revolving around the oh, yeah, outdoorsmanship yeah. lifestyle you know it, it's just amazing how much of an impact this lifestyle has on us oh yeah and impacts who we are and how we are and how we think mm-hmm. and what we value you know well it's cool too and it's like our out too you know if you're having a bad day you can go out there and be fishing and yeah like i said a lot of people just get too wrapped up into having to catch or kill something um that's the only negative part i see it's more of actually enjoying the whole experience from beginning to end whether it's getting getting stuff ready to go do it or coming back um home on a trip just people get too wrapped up in the catch and kill part of it is what i think so so what is it then if it's not the catch and the kill that's not the primary is it the primary reason you're out there what's the what's the actual primary reason that you are out there if it's not the catch and the kill i mean for me it's just enjoying it um, I think it's a simple question, um, just enjoying it and it's all aspects of it, whether it's just out running the boat around on a day where the sun's just coming up or even if it's raining, pouring down rain, um, just enjoying your day and being able to do what you love. I mean, for all of us passion outdoorsmen, once we, we get that feeling, you can't shake it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I agree. And I, I feel like there's a huge part of it too, that goes deeper than just me as an individual but how i am as a human being and longing for that connection to the outdoors and the experience of you know it's it's not just because i'm gathering food 
that I'm enjoying doing it. You know, it's like I'm living out my purpose as a human being on the planet of Earth and engaging with my life in the outdoors. You yeah. Know? Yeah. No, I definitely say it. And I mean, it's always the added bonus of I love to eat deer meat. I love yep. to eat elk meat. <laughs> I love salmon. But I mean, some days it just doesn't happen. And um, just being out there and being able to do it, like, I love it. The excitement that yep. you get from setting that hook to when you're getting that yep. fish in, um, there's just, yep. there's nothing greater, I don't think. Well, and it's such a small moment, though, within the the mm-hmm. experience of a fishing trip. Oh, yeah. How how long is setting a hook? You know, I know, it's like exactly. A second, I know. A split uh-huh. set, you feel the bite for a second, and then you set the hook, and then you reel the fish in. And if it's really cool, that takes a long time. But most of the time, you know, you just reel the fish right in. Yeah. And then if that you was go all back that and it was it about, oh, yeah. then you wouldn't enjoy most of it. But it's just that, yeah, there's, there's those, all those different moments that wrap up into one throughout the day that for me, like even going out and catching the crappie and doing that stuff and yeah, band yeah. fish and some of the stuff that I grew up doing, it's just so cool. And I get so excited just even doing that stuff that yeah, I hope it, I never lose it. Honestly, I hope it's always something that, that keeps me excited and keeps me going. And yeah, for sure. Well, thanks for your perspective on that. Of course. Appreciate it. That's all that we had for today, Eric. Yeah, if people wanted to find you um, or or follow you on social media or YouTube, whatever it is, yeah, how yeah. can we do that? So I got, uh, I think my Instagram is Ryan Sparks twelve, I believe on that. <laughs> I, it's bad; I don't even remember most of that stuff. But if you want to follow our work stuff too, it's DCC West on both YouTube, Instagram. Uh, that's where we put together a lot of our videos that we work with with a lot of guys in the Northwest. And, um, you can go there and see all of our awesome videos that we get to do and kind of experience life through us of what it is in the Northwest to hunt and fish. Um, it's, we bring a bunch of different dealers out and people, people throughout the Northwest on these hunting and fishing trips. And it's cool. Cause we get to share them there and all of our experiences just like we're doing today. So yeah. I love it. Any, anything else you want to point people to? Not really. Um, if you want to join Bass Nation, reach out that way <laughs> <Yeah>. too. Um, <laughs> it's a great involvement. It's just cool because it's such, like I said, such a good community that you can join to be a non-boater in that. You don't have to be a boater. And that's how I met one of my best friends actually was wow. being a non-boater in that. Now I'm tournament partners with him and we hunt and yeah. fish all the time. That Montana buck was with him. Oh, and sweet. That yeah. was all just from one of those little moments of being a non-boater and something yep. like that so show up at the wrong class yeah next thing you know you're I know. <laughs> i've been very blessed <laughs> <laughs> i love it well thank you so much for your time of course and thank Let you guys for having me on house. i really yeah. really pre- appreciate it so. yeah, yeah it's been it's been a fun conversation and uh hope anyone who's listening gathered something from it yeah and we'll see you next episode all right